This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. Do you want to immerse yourself so completely in a work of fiction you'll end the book having to Google which parts were real and which were fiction? Well, pick up a copy of The Final Revival of Opal and Nev and prepare to do just that. It's a fictional account of a journalist who writes an oral history of the front woman from a real-life rock duo. Donnie Walton joins us now to discuss her novel. Hey, Donnie, welcome. Thank you so much, Natalie. Great to be here. Well, first off, congrats on former President Barack Obama naming your book as one of his favorites in 2021. How does that feel? Well, essentially, I'm still levitating. <laughs> my friend. I hyperventilated and then lifted up off the ground and hyperventilated again. And I'm just kind of in a daze over it all. It was such a delightful surprise to end the year. Well, for what it's worth, it was also my favorite novel of 2021. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Well, let's talk about the characters. Who are Opal and Nev? So Opal is a Black American woman, Detroit-born, and she has big dreams to be a star. Uh, she doesn't really doesn't really matter how she gets there. She tries different things, uh, but she ends up meeting Nev Charles um, when he comes through Detroit on a tour. He is an English singer-songwriter and needs a little oomph in his act. And Opal ends up being that oomph. And they make music together in early 1970s New York City, kind of proto-punk. Uh, and they make quite uh, a stir on the New York City scene. Why did you decide to write this as an oral history? Well, I'm a former journalist. And it's always a form that I've loved because it gives instant icon status to what you're writing about. When you're interviewing different people who all have an opinion about one thing, it just makes it feel big and massive. And I love the way that memories uh, overlap and are in contradiction to each other and that the reader is kind of trying to find the truth in between the lines. And it also just was fun to write. I mean, I love channeling voices of different people. And since we're talking about rock and roll, it's allowed me to be very wild and colorful with the characters. Why did you lean into satire? You know, I think it's, it's a form that I've always loved, and it was sort of my way of processing a lot of what I have felt uh, about culture and about entertainment uh, in my years as a journalist. But also I was writing this novel with the 2016 uh, election kind of unfolding in the backdrop. And, you know, the novel ultimately took me eight years to write. I started it in 2013. But a lot of the second half of the novel, which kind of gets a bit more fast-paced and urgent, was definitely around that 2016 time. And it was just, again, just a way to process and understand history as sort of looping um, and making sense of, of those things. And also kind of, you know, in, in, of course, there are moments in the book that are very serious, but I also think the book has some humor, which I, I love to play with, um, and kind of tweaking celebrity and images and um, how people present facades. How did your career in magazine journalism influence this novel? 
Well, um, so there is a journalist character who is a magazine editor. Uh, her name is Sunny Shelton, and she is a, becomes a character who's curating the book, and she also has a personal tie to the launch of Opal and Nev. And, you know, I just loved following her story um, along with the sto- story of rock and roll because these are two industries that have changed very dramatically, um, both of them, over the past few decades. And, you know, it allowed me to kind of put a little bit of myself in the book and kind of some of the challenges that magazines have faced in in the past few years um, as the digital, you know, revolution unfolded. Um, So that was another piece of satire, I think, that I wove into the book. One thing that I've noticed in reviews is that the journalistic part of the book is kind of overlooked. Tell us a little bit more about Sunny, who she works for, and why she is even drawn into this story, without too many spoilers. Yeah. So um, Sunny is the first Black editor of a Rolling Stone-style magazine. Um, The magazine is called Aural, A-U-R-A-L, and, um, you know, founded in the 1960s and is kind of struggling in the current moment to... um, speak to a different audience to attract new readers at a time when readers are turning away from print um, and also kind of struggling with its legacy of kind of, you know, um, putting basically white men on the cover all the time as, as the rock gods. And Sunny comes in and she is very eager to disrupt that a bit. And her personal tie um, to Opal and Nev, and this is not too much of a spoiler because it's on the first page of the book. Um, she is the daughter of Opal and Nev's drummer, Jimmy, um, who was actually killed uh, in the concert that puts Opal and Nev on the map. And Sunny never had a chance to meet her father. Um, her mother was still pregnant with her when Jimmy was killed. And so Telling the story of Opal and Nev is sort of also her way of understanding her own family history and her connection to rock and roll, which she loves, but which also has felt at times taboo for her to love as a black woman who is not often represented in that music. This book has so many layers that the reader can hone in on, you know, history, the satire part. Um, you know, just the joy of having oral history in a novel form. But I would like to hear you talk about the race and gender critique you're making about music and the entertainment industry. Sure. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think I should talk a little bit about how this book sparked. You know, I was watching this great documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom, and it's a film about background singers. Many of them are black women. And these are women whose voices you very well know. And whenever, you know, a band like the Rolling Stones um, wanted to add a soulful touch, they would bring in these black women to come and sing on their records. And yet, we don't know their names, you know. I think until only recently people are understanding what a contribution Mary Clayton, for instance, made on a song like Gimme Shelter. Um, And so I really wanted to imagine a world in which a black woman could sort of break out of that background role 
and become the star, you know, for for a while. Um, it was sort of wish fulfillment for me as as a black woman who grew up loving this music and wanting to see myself reflected more centrally in it. Um, and then I think just, you know, of course, all these things are intersectional. Um, when thinking about the canon of rock, there's often so few women who are a part of that. Um, and that's why, you know, I've, I've loved, there's been a series on um, NPR called Turning the Tables, which is sort of reevaluating the canon and paying tribute to the women who were part of rock and roll history. So creating Opal Jewel, this black woman who has this moment and means so much to so many people, um, was a dream. And I always describe Opal as the kind of rock star that I would have loved to pin up to my bedroom wall when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. I saw that documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom, and just didn't know. I mean, we I've heard some of those voices, but didn't know the extent of these black female backup singers for uh, white male artists and groups. And so was part of writing this book a decision to tackle the repackaging and rebranding of black music or... Or were you hoping that people would start Googling other names of, of Black women who were overlooked? Absolutely. And I have to tell you, Natalie, you know, when I was writing this book, I was learning myself. Like, as much as I thought I knew, I was discovering women like Tina Bell, who was, you know, like a godmother of grunge, lived in Seattle and, you know, Nirvana had gone to see her before they even put out a record, you know. Um, there is a book that came out uh, last October called Black Diamond Queens. I read that after I finished writing my book, and I learned about all kinds of black women and what they had done for rock and roll. So I really do hope, you know, that um, people read the book and, and it sparks their curiosity and gives them a new understanding of um these legends, you know, who made such giant contributions. And I also, you know, made a playlist where, you know, people are saying that they love it and they're loving hearing artists like Betty Davis that they didn't know about, who was a 1970s funk icon on the New York City scene. Artists like that, you know, it's it's been such a joy and a pleasure to really geek out on it. So I was texting a cousin of mine who loves your book. She's older. She's a former journalist. She's also a bass player. And she said she wanted to know, did you base Opal on Betty Davis? <laughs> yes. Well, there's three main women that I based Opal on. One of them is absolutely Betty Davis. I think maybe the biggest piece of Opal is Betty Davis. Um, but Nona Hendrix is, is another, uh, and Grace Jones is the third, those three women. And then with the political side, there's dashes of Nina Simone in there as well. Mm. So then the natural follow-up is, who is Nev based on? So, you know, it's funny. Nev doesn't really have, like, a specific figure that I based him on. But what I was really thinking about was the idea of the chameleon. So I'm thinking about and Elton John or even a Rod Stewart um, who have had these long, long, long careers and who've gone through different phases and styles and images. And the fact that they're kind of given that latitude to do that, whereas other artists might not be able to do it. 
And so when I was thinking about the chameleonic figure, I was thinking about, you know, what that would, how that would define someone's personality, what it would mean for their soul, really. Um, and so, yeah, not one figure, but kind of just that idea is how Nev developed. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore for In for Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, I'm here with Donnie Walton, author of the book, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. The book is about Afropunk, I believe, before we even had that as a term or idea. Do you see, is Opal the foremother you imagine of that movement? She is. She is. But so, again, so is Nona Hendrix and so is Betty Davis, you know. Um, They are considered icons of that movement and way ahead of their time. And another one of the ideas that I wanted to explore in the book is to revisit an artist like that and think about what if her time comes around again, you know, in this current moment. And that was kind of fun to think about. What music did you listen to while you were writing the novel, if you were able to listen to music and write at the same time? I'm so glad. See, I know you're a writer because you you put that caveat on the end. And it's absolutely <laughs> true. I cannot, I cannot write with any sound. I write in complete silence. But I will say when, you know, I was not sitting at the computer and typing the moments where I was just thinking about the book and trying to think about the characters when I was washing dishes or doing chores around the house. I was listening to, you know, I was listening to Betty Davis. I was listening to artists who I felt like would have been um, influenced by Opal. You know, I was listening to Janelle Monet, and there's a band out of the U.K. called The Noisettes. Um, all kinds of stuff, and a lot of 70s music. A lot of 70s music. In fact, I feel like I'm still kind of stuck in that decade in some ways Um, because the music was so good and it was so diverse. If you look at the billboard charts from the time, it's astonishing how many different genres and styles are coexisting um, at the same time in that top 20 or top 200 or whatever. There were moments in the book where I was wondering, who am I supposed to be mad at now? Like, I thought I was on somebody's <laughs> side, and then I changed my mind, and then I'm like, oh, maybe this, I, like, and I, was that, in t- I'm sure that was intentional, because you, most writers don't want things to be so neatly packaged, but how did you want the reader to feel about some of these characters? Well, I will say, especially with Opal, I wanted the reader to see her as flawed, and as messy, but I wanted them to love her anyway. I wanted them to see her as fully human because we're all flawed and messy, and yet we all deserve love and we're all lovable. Um, and that was particularly important for me in drawing um, this black female figure that, you know, would have been an icon to so many. And I think, you know, um, I love when readers tell me that they get mad at Opal because you're supposed to get mad at Opal. She makes a lot of mistakes at the height of her fame. She's like 23 years old, you know, Um, we make a lot of mistakes at that age and we learn from them and we grow. Do these characters still live in your head? Sometimes. I mean, I will say that... um, There's a footnote toward the end of the novel where I say, you know, Opal has started her official Twitter account. And so I think about what she would be 
saying about um, about bell hooks, honestly, um, about January 6th with those images of the Confederate flag being marched through the Capitol. Um, whenever something like that happens, I do think, of, you know, what would Opal say? And I'm not always sure what she would say, but I do. She pops in my mind in those moments. Yes, Opal does keep one guessing. <laughs> Um, the the book obviously moves through decades, but it's also an intergenerational book. How did you handle balancing those kind of voices as you were writing and trying to make sure that they sounded authentic? Oh, I thought about my mom a lot. I thought about, you know, my uncles. Um, I watched a lot of documentaries, you know, especially um, about the 1970s and listen to those voices, was on YouTube a lot watching um, old talk show clips and sort of understanding the cadence of people's voices and understanding what language someone would or would not use. Um, One of the tricks that I used to get into voice for different characters was understanding how each character would curse, what words they would say and what they wouldn't say was a weird trick that that I used. Um, And, you know, it was just, it was really fun. I think listening is a big part of writing. You know, you know that as a journalist. Um, It's just understanding what people are saying and how they're saying it and adding it all together. That's so good and so specific. <laughs> what curse words would it would a character use? Well, we've been talking to Donnie Walton, author of The Final Revival of Opal and Neb. Donnie, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Natalie.